Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hello, and welcome to MMQB NFL Podcast. I'm Connor Orr. Albert Breer is here. The first playoff weekend is over. It's Girl Scout cookie selling season. For those of you who also celebrate, we're already at 100 boxes. No big deal. But um, wow. let's get... Yeah. By the way, boxes. How about 100, box, 100 boxes in six days. So I never... So my daughter is four, so we're not quite there yet. And uh, you'll, you'll I didn't have any sisters, so I obviously know about Girl Scout cookies, but I have no experience with that at all. It is totally shifted, and I was initially one of those parents who, when we would get the link, because a lot of it's digital now, um, and the parents would just text us all a link and say, hey, can you order some cookies? And I'd say, no, make the kid come to my house with the wagon and well, cause take it used my to be door to door, right? Yeah. Take yeah. my order down and then I'll order some cookies like there. But now that my daughter is in it, like I'm running this thing like Amazon and I'm just sending everyone <laughs> QR codes. We did. Well, well, yeah, like it actually like might not be as like might not be as like kosher to go door to door now as it was in like the 80s and 90s. You know, True. Yeah. We're we're being safe. And uh, yeah. Uh, but we did make her, uh, we sent out, like, we, we made her do a promotional video. So she had to she had to do a video and say, like, these mm. are the five reasons why you should buy Girl Scout cookies. Um, and, you know, broke it down for everybody. And so I think that helps. But we're crushing it. Um, you know, I, I like I'll it. be up to I'll be up to my neck in uh, Samoa's here in a couple days. But uh, but it's all good. You know, I was a big I was a big Thin Mints guy. You put them in the freezer, right? Yes. Like, yeah, that was yes. the move. So to me, uh, I think we start with, uh, you know, the Lions, I think with the story of the weekend, this was the game of the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, first playoff win since, when was it? Yeah, it I mean, was 1991. They 1991. Beat the, they actually were the team that beat the Dallas Cowboys. And this is going to show my age. I think this is like, this is one game that might actually show the age gap between me and you. Because I can remember that was the game Troy Aikman did not play. Steve Berline was the quarterback for the Cowboys. Aikman was hurt, and Berline had played good enough, like for there to be at least some conversation. As I remember it, it like, are the Cowboys going to go back to Aikman in 1992? 
Wow. They went back to they went back to Aikman in 1992, and things worked out for them. So, but yeah, that was the that was that was that was the um, that was the first playoff run for um, for Jimmy Johnson's Cowboys, and the Lions knocked them out, and then the Lions lost to Washington, um, which is the Mark Rippon team in the NFC title game. I don't remember any of that because I was four. So yeah, um, I was, I would have been, so my, I actually that year, so my birthday used to always fall on the Super Bowl. So I believe the Super Bowl that year was on my 12th birthday. So it was like now, like my now, now it's more like AFC NFC championship game where, where my birthday would be. But uh, yeah, and I hate talking about my birthday. So I can't believe I just brought that up on the podcast. <laughs> I know. Last week, I almost exposed it. Um, yeah. I mean, any, anyone can look it up. You you have a very yeah, now public you have, now birthday. You have the, now you have the actual date. So there I know. You go. I know. We're gonna send. Uh, we're gonna send a Harry and David's back. Or what is it, Harry? Harry and David. Is that yeah. the thing you send to someone who you don't know what to send, and it's like those hard candied almonds and like pears. That's yeah, what, I, never, yeah. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's what you're going to get. Um, <laughs> right. So 1992, 38 to six, they really put it on the Cowboys. I'm just looking yep. at this. Uh, the box that, score. For this well, game. people forget like how they, those Lions offenses were freaking electric, like Herman Moore and Brett Perriman and obviously Barry Sanders. And I think the quarterback would have been like Eric Kramer then. Right. Eric like, Kramer right? was 29 of 38 for 341 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, a 129 quarterback rating. So I don't know, was June Jones there yet? Like, I think June Jones went there and became the offense. I, he, I'm not sure if he was there at that point, but June Jones was there at one point where they ran the run and shoot with Herman Moore, Brett Perriman, and Johnny Morton, I think it was, and Barry Sanders at tailback. And uh, yeah, those Lions teams were, those were, those were good Lions teams. Dave Levy was the offensive coordinator. Oh, so team. it wasn't June then, Jones yet. And then Dan Henning. Um, oh, there you go. Dan Henning, the father of like that, uh, the father of the Patriots offense, like the, the guy who's like Charlie Weiss's mentor who, yeah. Who, yeah. So, um, my, my first takeaway was this was the Rams game to lose. And I thought I was a little disappointed that they ended up punting at the end of that game. But I do know that kicking was always kind of their Achilles heel this season. It was the really down the stretch. It was the one thing that they couldn't yep. depend on. They were missing extra point. I mean, that Giants game was awful. Um, and mm -hmm. so I think it probably altered the way that you play in that situation where, OK, you're looking at whatever it is, third and 15, third and 14. You know, you just try to get 10 yards. You try to mm -hmm. get as much of that as you can to set up for a kick. But you can't the, – their kicking game was so bad this year that you almost had I, to hope and pray that you could stop Ben Johnson one more time. And it was it was interesting too because, like, the decision by Dan Campbell to accept the penalty there, right? I yeah. believe it was – what was it? it? It was either third and 14 or fourth and seven or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Wasn't that what it was? Yeah. And he chose to move him back, and that show. I mean, I think like that's my big takeaway of the end of the game is like how Dan Campbell kept doubling down on his own guys. You know what I mean? Like he doubled down on the defense and said, "No, we're going to knock him out of field goal range here because I trust the defense to get a stop and keep them out of field goal range, right?" And then you know they they get the ball back and they're throwing aggressively, right? They threw on second down two times in a row to close the game out. I just. I think like what you saw at the end of that game was, I mean, so much of what we've, you know, I, I think what happens in these playoff settings sometimes, Connor, is like coaches 
get in these situations and they forget who they are and they forget who their teams have been and they tighten up. And like, I feel like down the stretch of that game, like Dan Campbell, like leaned in to who the Lions have been in the risk taking in the doubling down on his own players. And, you know, it really paid off there at the end of the game. Every big moment this year, dating back to the season opener against the Kansas city chiefs, he, he has, he has acted in accordance with the way that he has always acted, which I think is just so cool, right? I mean, I think we see some coaches sit on it, some really good coaches. I mean, Kyle Shanahan is still overcoming two really high-profile instances of sitting on his hands um, in in big game, in Super Bowls. And so mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, it's instructive for coaches like, yes, and not everybody can pull this off. And I, I mm-hmm. agree that everything should still be situational with football. But with Dan Quinn in particular, he has Dan laid... Campbell. Sorry. The what? <laughs> Dan Campbell. You said Dan Quinn. I know it's early. Oh. <laughs> We're all good. And I messed up the situation, so I'll lay that out for you in a second. But I was close. I was close enough. And you were close because you got the first name right. My goodness. Dan Campbell. The fact that he is the fact that he was doing it from the beginning and was just like, okay, I'm either going to get fired doing this or I'm going to be one of the best head coaches in the NFL doing this. And there was no concern from him. It was basically like, okay, I've always wanted to do it this way and I'm going to do it this way. And it creates a sort of guideline for you to operate through. And here's where we see the the value in that, you know, the success in that. Yeah. And I, I think, and again, to lay out the situation here, and this is, and I, I think we can get to that part of it too in a second here because I do think that there's an interesting nuance um, to the way that Campbell operates and why he operates that way. But you know, again, like the situation here is third and four, um, they create an incompletion to put the the Rams in um, and the Rams in fourth and four at their 34 yard line. So I'd say like with Brett Maher, they're probably like on the fringe of field goal range there. That's probably a 52 yard field goal, right? So maybe, maybe not like. I think a lot of coaches would have just accepted the penalty or would have just, would have just declined the penalty there. Instead, he accepts the penalty on, 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 on Havenstein, which I believe was on Hutchinson, right? Like, didn't he hook him as he was coming off the edge? Mm-hmm. And so Rob Havenstein, the flag, the offensive holding flag, 10 yards, knocks him back. Now they're in third and 14 from the 44. They get the stop they need there with Cam Sutton making the play. And then the Rams are forced to punt from the Lions 44. So like, again, like that to me is just a sign of not coaching tight. I think a lot of coaches would have looked at that and said, let's just force them to kick the field goal. Cause we don't want something stupid to happen on four on, on third and 14. Right. That's not what Dan Campbell did. And I think like, as to, to your point about like, we're like this sort of decision-making I actually think this has something to do with being an ex-player. Like, I actually think like this has something like the the Mike Vrabels, the D'Amico Ryans, um, and we've talked a bunch about that, right? Like, and how you hire into these jobs and everything else. I I just think like there's a psychology to it. Like, if you are a coach, like you've your, your whole life has been built up to make decisions like this, right? Like your whole professional life has been built up to make decisions like this. And so you might tighten up a little bit, right? Like, because you feel like that's going to define you. If you're a player, you've been in those. If you're an ex-player, you've been in those situations. And you might have a little bit of a different view of them and how they can affect your team and how they, you know, can 
impact the psychology of your guys. And so I just think, you know, again, I, I know I sound like a broken record here talking about like the trends and like how, you know, the offensive coach trend, the young offensive coach trend has really worked a certain way, but there's also, you know, the ex-player trend that's got, that's starting to have really good history, you know, with D'Amico, with Dan Campbell, with Mike Frabel, with Kevin O'Connell. Um, but I think this is a good example of a player just having a feel for his team and not feeling the weight of a decision like that, the, the same way a career coach might feel the weight of a decision like that. It is, a, back up for a second, how fired mm-hmm. up were you to see Eminem, the, you know, the millennial in you? That was, uh, was that, was that cool? Or I'm no millennial. Just... I'm, I'm like a, pre, I'm pre-millennial, but yeah, that was pretty cool. Eminem got big when I was in college. So, which probably makes me again, sound oh hundred years God. old, but yeah, he got big when I was in college. I like how like uh, his, like his stuff was like underground when I was in high school. It was like you, you, you hurt, like it was, you, you could, you could get it and it was like around, but it was very, very underground when I was in high school. And then when I was in college, I think you know, whatever. It would have been like my freshman or sophomore year that he blew up. Wow. He I, has become like the um the Paul Rudd of this situation though, I would say, right? Yeah. And it's Is so funny fair? because <laughs> Eminem used to rap about or the Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Eminem used to rap about the craziest stuff. Like I remember you know, he was big oh, when yeah. I was in like fifth grade or sixth grade. And when your parents get a load of that, they're just like you can't this this cd can't even be in the house like it's not allowed to be it's not allowed to be in the same street this is crazy and now right. that he's like now he's like the vo like the voiceover um and and basically like the person that everyone's getting interview is like the celebrity fan of the lions which is very funny to me yeah although like i mean mark Wahlberg was marky mark when i was a kid and he became that guy for like new england when the patriots are really good so I don't know. I like there's also like I feel like there's like an expiration date with these guys too where it starts to become too much. Like you're seeing them too much, right? And it's like is he really that big a fan? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's and, what that's what we wonder. I mean, Eric Stone Street, love Eric Stone Street, right. Cam for Modern Family, but okay, we've been to a couple Chief Super Bowls now and you're good. You know, you don't yeah. have to do this anymore. Yeah, and so I, I can. I've actually like I've actually said that to some of my friends, like who like people up here are a little tone deaf, I would say, to some of this stuff. And so you hear that, you, you know, there's all of that, like, like oh, I'm so sick of seeing Eric Stone Street, Paul Rudd. I, I say to them, I'm like, do you know what people thought of us and like Mark Wahlberg ten years ago? Like Tom they Bob got Joby. hit. Yeah, they got hit over the head with this like ten times over. Like so, yeah, I I would say. The Eminem thing is still kind of fresh and new. It can't go on forever, though. I did like how the, the game spotlighted the one season ticket holder who's been there since like 1964. See, that's, or whatever, the, the to me, that's cool. Like, Show I that like guy that, more, yeah. you know? Yeah. Show those people. Um, because everyone's like, wow, Mark Wahlberg, John Bon Jovi, they're real fans. No, they're. He's taking- like the Lions version of that, that Chargers woman. Yeah. <laughs> they're taking a heated limousine to the front door of the stadium and then an armed security guard takes them up a private elevator to the owner's box where they watch the game, they eat sushi and they drink, you know, Don Perignon, and then they take the private elevator back down to their heated limo and somehow get helicopter lifted out of the stadium so they don't have to sit in traffic. That's their experience. They're not real fans. That guy in there that, uh, 
Uh, NBC was showing it's been a season ticket holder since the 60s. That's a real fan. That guy's seen some stuff, you know? Show me more of that guy. Um, Not, you know, with the Rams, okay, right? Like, you know, I think while you're disappointed in blowing another year of Stafford's prime, and I talked to people, there were coaches that said if they beat the Lions, they're going to the Super Bowl. Like, the Rams are that hard to play. I, I, you know, you, you're never happy with a way that a loss shakes out, but everything that you, basically everything that you tried to accomplish in that game, you were able to accomplish. Your defense yeah. was a little bit weak, but you gave up 24 points to the Lions, and that's not that's nothing to be ashamed of. I, I really think that this was right, a well-played game. Especially after the way it started. Happen. Right, yeah. especially after the way like the way it started, it looked like the Lions were just going to go up and down the field the whole game. Yeah, and they were able to kind of put their foot in the ground and stop that. And like now, you look at where they are coming out of this with, I mean, their rookie class is ridiculous, right? Like, I mean, Puka Nakua and Kobe Turner and Byron Young, and they did that without a first round pick, and now they're going to have a first round pick for the first time in what a decade, and like they've got suddenly a ton of cap space and they they just went through that cap reset and they did all of this with 75 million dollars in dead money on their books um this is like I, this might be sean mcveigh's best coaching job and i know that sounds crazy but like to be able to get that out of this team and for the rams to be able to pivot on the fly this way phenomenal like the front office deserves credit for finding all these diamonds in the rough like in the in, in the draft and and setting the team up going forward i I I'd be really excited if I was a Rams fan right now. Like I think they are positioned to get aggressive the way that they got aggressive four or five, six years ago and build their team a certain way, you know? Probably gotta go get an heir apparent to Matt Stafford at some point. Um, right, but they have time to do that. You know, they have a little runway to do that, I feel like. Yeah. No, I, I uh uh I agree. All right, let's move so on. So real to- quick, by the way, one thing like one thing I do want to say on a personal note. I don't know. It's hard. I'm so happy for Jared Goff and like what he was able to accomplish too. I just thought that that, that like being able to win that game against, against Stafford, against McVay and a guy who was seen as like a salary dump three years ago, like to be able to do this and establish himself. And you know, the crazy thing is Connor, we could be looking at a divisional playoff game next weekend with two former number one overall picks who are dumped by their teams going against each other. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it's a, I think it's a good example of like, I think it's a good example of being able to separate a guy who may have a contract that you don't want versus a guy just being a bad player, you know? And, and also I think there's a degree of acceptance. Like I wrote this about Tua and we'll get to the Dolphins game next that I think it's a good transition, but um, Tua would be able to start for like 10 NFL teams right now, but yep. he's not good enough to start for the Dolphins right now because the Dolphins have one more year of Tyreek Hill. They have like, I, I think one more year of Jalen Waddle before they have to give him a big extension they have Vic Fangio and they're paying him more than any other defensive coordinator in the NFL. Like you are, you are to the point where you can't have Tua doing what he's doing. And so, and, and the same thing was true of Jared Goff. That team was one centimeter from the Super Bowl. And so 
you need to make that one sensible upgrade. And, you know, I'm not, la- you know, Sean, Sean McVay won a Super Bowl, you know, yeah. there's no laughing to the, on their way to the bank. I think what's remarkable. No, that, that, I mean, that would, that trade is like an unbelievable win, win, win. It, it was a win, win. And, and, but I think if Dan Campbell and Ben Johnson aren't there, maybe we are talking about Jared no. Goff needing to find his way taking even longer to find his way, like someone like Geno Smith, you know? But um, yeah. I, I I, don't think there's, like, we we end up demonizing these things and needing to have a winner and a loser, where I sometimes I just don't think that there's a winner and a loser. Um, yeah. Now, you're talking about the other number one pick who got cut, you know, I, I don't know, I think that there's a winner and a loser there, but at this point, but again, all these situations are different, but let's, we're going to get to that. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. <laughs> Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second, and I'm curious what you think. So I, I test ran this take in one of the hardest places in the country to test run a take on WIP in Philadelphia. Okay. Oh, nice. Um, I'm sure things have been very level on WIP the last yeah, so few the weeks. Yes, ho- the hosts are all fine. They're totally well-adjusted. They're not freaking out about anything. Um, but... I said, this was right after I think that the Bills and Steelers game got moved, and then they were asking me about the Chiefs and Dolphins game. You don't you don't play that game. You don't play that game there. You ship everything to the to whatever, Atlanta. You ship it to a dome because I think it's incredibly silly. And, and this isn't a toughness thing. Like I saw Taylor Lewan and Robert Griffin arguing about, oh, you know, you put Vaseline on your okay, cool. Good for you. That that's great. I'm glad that you're the ice man. I am curious if the Vaseline thing really works because, like Trent McDuffie told me after the game that he covered himself in Vaseline. Chad Ochocinco so. used to take um, Viagra because there was something that it, it, would, it, it would it would remove it would blood from a something? certain. It would it would take blood from a certain part of the body and displace it. <laughs> elsewhere you know um and somehow that <laughs> bothered you less in the cold anyway but displace it elsewhere <laughs> <laughs> you know what i'm talking about um but what you're doing i'm, I'm, I'm is, 10 years old i'm sorry 
what you're doing is like that game was clearly impacted by weather. And yeah. what you're saying to these teams, and sure, home field advantage is something that you're going to have to figure out. But yep. the Miami Dolphins were playing badly, but they weren't even close to being the Miami Dolphins because it's negative 30 degrees outside. The The field is a sheet of ice. I mean, I, I don't know how many times they showed that freaking heater during the game, and they're like, oh, it's fine. Like, I watched the pregame. Tony Dungy and uh, Rodney Harrison Patrick are like Holmes st- helmet broke. stepping on the ground, and it's concrete. And so, but, but Rodney the, Harrison looked like a ninja. Yeah. And so, but but what was the, why did we, why did we go through with that game? Because it was on Peacock and because people were going to pay six bucks a pop to watch it. And everyone wanted to see what would happen in the cold weather. Uh, maybe some people wanted to see Taylor Swift. I don't know. But I think if that game was on CBS and you By don't the way, that care, shot of Taylor Swift had to be staged, right? The whole thing is staged. <laughs> like, this I mean, whole behind, thing is I made took a up. picture of it. It was like behind the. It looked like a freaking album cover, didn't it? Like I mean, behind the frosted glass. Yes, and I can't believe that we're all just like, isn't it amazing how all this stuff just works out? That's my God. You're like, come on, everybody. This yeah. is all, you know. She knew where to stay. Like this is Hollywood, you know. And now the NFL is in bed with it. But it's like, I think if you didn't have a streaming service, you needed to pump. I think if that game was on regular, you CBS, think they would have moved it? I mean. I don't think that was it. I think it's. I don't know. I think like, it's I dumb see. to play that game in those conditions. I think <laughs> Look, it's. I, I don't want to be like I don't want to be Johnny Hardass here, but like honestly, I just I, I think this is sort of like part of the drama of the whole thing, though. And I kind of look like yeah, maybe Saturday night was extreme, but I I just think like this is like I what I like about this is it like increased the stakes of the week before. Because if Miami beats Buffalo, you know what? Then Miami's not going to Kansas City and Buffalo is not getting to play in a, in a, in a snowdrift. That's you fair. know? Yep. So I think like that part of it, like Buffalo earned the right to make Pittsburgh schlep up there, right? Under these weird conditions. And Miami did not earn the right to play in 70 degree weather. And I just, I, I like the stakes being like that, right? So... You know, I guess we can take this back to college football, and maybe this is because, like, I like, I don't know, I go like back four generations in, in the Big Ten with all my family, but I, I always, I always hated how like Big Ten teams were forced, and the bowl games were a bigger deal when we were kids, but how the Big Ten teams were always forced to go down and play in humidity in Florida, and it's eighty degrees, and these Southern teams never had to come north. Yeah, right, and I like I. I think one of the cool things about the college football playoff now is that some of those Southern teams are going to have to come North and they are going to have to play in the elements. And so why should teams North of the Mason Dixon line be at a disadvantage? Like if it's snowing in a mess at your facility, like that sucks. And that's going to be tough to work around, especially if you're playing against a team that's practicing in 70 degree weather. So if you're the better team, why shouldn't you have the advantage of playing in those elements? You know what I'm saying? That's fair. I just think that I think about these teams and like the entire road that you have gotten to mm-hmm. at this point, and then is it? But isn't it on your team? Isn't it on you to prepare your team for that? It's on you to prepare your team for it. But I think that there's like there, I don't know what it is, but there's a there's a line right where I think when you, <laughs> yeah. once you cross, I mean, that's it, what I'm saying though. Like that's the hard thing. It's like where is that line? You know what I mean? Negative. Okay. <laughs> 
wind chill danger danger is where that line is (laughs) if you can expose your body to whatever temperature it is outside only for limited periods of time at risk of frostbite i would say there's there's your line um, I do. I do want to know what became of the dolphin fan who had his shirt off. There was a couple. There was cheat. You know, it was cheap. There was a, fan a, 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 I think you know. I think you. I think you know who I'm talking about, though. The guy who was just wearing the winter hat. Yes. The dolphin fan. I want to know what became of that guy. Um. He. So. So I'm actually reading the book on. Um, Wim Hof, the Iceman. Do you know who yeah. that is? No. So he he basically he climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in his underwear. Um, he's like he he started Why? the whole he he started the whole ice <laughs> ice bath. He started like the okay. whole cold plunge trend. The whole cold thing. plunge, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, I got a buddy here who's got a plunge pool and he swears by it. This is it's phenomenal. I do so. cold showers. Um, I yeah. try to. I I have a plunge pool. I tried it. Uh, it's twenty two degrees right now. I did it a couple of days ago when it was like 31 degrees in the morning. I have it on my deck. Uh, miserable. Uh, j- just just terrible. But yeah. anyway, I do, do you feel think better after, though. You you feel phenomenal. Like you feel like okay. a million bucks. Yeah. So, um, I mean, don't knock it until you try it. I'm, I, I think it's a good thing. But so I do think that these people can survive. But I don't think that they did the proper like acclimation process like the guy's just like okay let me have eight yinglings and then take my shirt off at the at the chiefs game is different than i have taken ice baths up until a certain point to acclimate my body to the cold weather i think that there's a big difference between those two things like like randy from randy from wichita was coming up (laughs) and his and his remedy for the cold was like 36 beers in the parking lot yeah just like a fifth of old granddad and then it's like yeah i'm ready okay which would make you colder, I think, right? Because alcohol thins the blood. Yeah, but it numbs you. So, like, maybe like it, it helps in the moment, but but might do do long term damage. Which is like the case with everything with alcohol, right? It was so cold that experienced Chiefs fans were bringing cardboard boxes to stand. You stand on. Yeah, I did not. I, I this was the first I've heard of this trick. I mean, think about how cold it has to be that you're wearing winter boots and thick socks and you're still bringing an additional layer of uh, of a surface to stand on because your feet are too cold and these idiots I, I, are just that, not this was shirts. the this was the first i had ever heard of that trick I, I that's another thing i'd like to know if that really works but i i mean good for everybody who was out there i mean i like i i've i guess the closest thing for me to that would be like going skiing, like in really, really cold conditions and how good it feels when you walk in the lodge. You know what I mean? Like, so that'd probably be the closest thing for me, but um, it did not look comfortable out there. So the game... But again, the Chiefs earned that. The Chiefs earned that. Like, and I think, like to get back to the football, Connor, like, could you not see on the Dolphins' faces how little they wanted to be out there? Yeah. I mean... That that was my takeaway. Like two minutes into that game, I was like, "Oh, it's over." And yeah. I, you know, again, I'm. They looked like they wanted no part of being out there. No, and you could, I mean, you could have. It, it could have been Isaiah Pacheco and six other guys, and I think it would have been the same. It would have been the same deal. Which it surprised me a little bit that Miami can be a tough and physical football team, yep. but for some reason, kind of just opted not to. 
play that style and to try to give which it was back. weird yeah you know I, mean? I, I got you yeah and it was like it was weird because it did feel like oh well this is miami should just lean on the run game now right and i what did they have like i think it was i'd have to look it up again but i think it was like something like 14 attempts like what are you doing with your you're gonna lean on your quarterback from hawaii um I did. Yeah, they only they, they only ran it eighteen times. Now, part of that's a function of the score at the end of the game, right? But Raheem Mozart, eight carries, thirty three yards. Tua actually was their most efficient runner, three carries for twenty five yards. I can't imagine any of those were designed. So you take those out of the pot, and you have like a, an end around to Waddle. I mean, Achen and um, and Mozart combined for fourteen carries. That's not enough in those conditions. Almost 40 attempts for two, 199 yards. My, uh, my thought here was that. And and the Chiefs ran almost twice as much, 34 times. I think it's a it's a gut check moment for Mike McDaniel, who is, you know, I, I have no doubt that he's going to be a great head coach there for a while. But yeah. I do think that, you know, you you need to throw yourself into the Kirk Cousins sweepstakes this offseason. Oh, you think so? I so mean, you would do that over like so like you have Tua for next year for what, 23, I think it is, on, right? On his fifth year option, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So like you're basically now I would say the difference is if you go get Kirk Cousins, you're sort of getting him without strings attached, right? Right. With Tua, like you still have his draft status attached and you still have the hey, do we have to pay him long term attached? Where if you bringing Kirk Cousins is like very clearly a rental, right? Like it's like, all right, this guy's here to get us to the next guy. Plus, you know, Mike was with Kirk um, in Washington and that offense clearly is a good fit for Kirk. So I'm not against that because that would be like kind of like, all right, here's our exit. But the problem is because of the new rules, you're already, you've already fully guaranteed to his money for next year. So what do you do with him? You know? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it will be interesting because Mike McDaniel, I think his revolution has been one of kindness and understanding and leveling with players in a way that not a lot of coaches are willing to do. Self-awareness. Um, it's I a think. lot of self-awareness. But yeah. to get to that, le- to get to it to that level took a lot of work for Mike McDaniel and a lot of public defense of Tua by Mike McDaniel. He was constantly defending Tua. Every time anybody brought up the idea that Mike was the one that was getting him better, Mike would immediately downplay it and say it's not true. Um, But now he's got to get into a spot where he's either got to ride Tua and be like, listen, this can't happen again, or he's got to replace him. Well, so just to look at his coaching tree then, do you think he's like where McVay was with Goff? Could be. Or where like... Where uh, where Kyle was with Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. Now, those guys got to Super Bowls, too. So it's a little different. But, I mean, like, I do think that that piece of it, that piece of it may definitely makes things complicated. And I, I wouldn't even be against if I, you know, it, like, let's just say you love J.J. McCarthy or you love Bo Nix. Is it the worst thing in the world to just draft a guy? No. And then you hold on to Tua because you're paying for the you got the fifth year option anyway. Now it's hard to do that because, like, you have to make decisions on the veteran market well before the draft, and you where they're going to be picking, you don't know what's going to be available to you, right? Like, so that's all a projection. But you know, like, do you look at it and say, okay, we're going to ride with Tua, 
and we're not going to go all in on a Kirk Cousins or somebody like that, but we're going to turn over every rock in the quarterbacks in the draft. Yeah. And you know what? If it's Bo Nix or if it's J.J. McCarthy, um, because I'm assuming you know there's no way they're going to be in a position to get Caleb or Drake May or even probably Jaden Daniels, do we take that swing? You know, um, I think it's a fair question to ask. And I don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world. Like you sort of set up then like the the proverbial like Drew Brees, Philip Rivers situation where you know the the Chargers got a couple of good years out of Drew Brees after taking Philip Rivers, you know, and then eventually the handoff happened. This is I think a moment where I don't leave this game feeling much better like are you like, okay, the Chiefs are fine. You know, they're definitely going to the Super Bowl now. Or do you, were you still so I have a take on this? Yeah, I, I, have, a, hear I have a take on this. Um, I think the weather forced the Chiefs to play the sort of game they have to play to win right now. Mm-hmm. I think their running game is pretty good. I think their offensive line can run block. I think Pacheco is a good back and they've got some depth in the backfield, right? And I think their defense is really good. Like now, I think as the collapse of Jim Schwartz's defense and Dan Quinn's defense showed us over the weekend. It, it can be tough to lean on your defense to win week after week after week, but they have Patrick Mahomes as sort of their escape hatch there. Right. So you, I think playing the way that they did in those conditions and being forced to play the way they did in those conditions, I think revealed how this team has to win a little bit differently than the previous chiefs teams did. And they can do that if they lean into it and they don't like, like, all right, well, let's see if MVS like turns it around in the middle of January. You know what I mean? Like they don't have to play that way because they think they've got good enough players everywhere else. And I'll be interested to see when the conditions are a little bit more ideal. And I mean, they're probably going to Buffalo next, so maybe they won't be more ideal. But um, if they, if they sort of stick to the way that they play, because I like, look at that defense, man. Like, Chris Jones, Lacharius Steed, Trent McDuffie, uh, like it's there. There are good players on that defense, you know, and versatile weapons. And Steve Spagnuolo has really kind of sunk his teeth into the personnel there, and he's got the kinds of guys that he needs, he wants. Karloftis came up big at the end of that game, yeah. you know. Um, I just think like there's a formula that they were forced to enact on Saturday night because of the weather. That may just be the formula that, they, that they're going to have to lean on over the next few weeks. The um, the game that I'm really excited to talk about, um, and I think we'll save we'll save Packers Cowboys for last because I do think yeah. that there's it bleeds into the coaching carousel nicely. But mm-hmm. <laughs> Texans Browns. Oh my so, god! Yeah. I mean, everyone knows my story. Uh, I was a Browns fan until uh, the Watson trade. I'm no longer a Browns fan, and so if you were to ask me. Say, hey, Connor, how would you draw up kind of the most sickening way for Cleveland to lose a playoff game? It would be losing to the team that they traded for, they got Deshaun Watson from, and that team is propelled by all the draft capital that Cleveland handed over for Deshaun Watson. Um, And and I I said this the other day, it's not just... And 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 a new quarterback who may be playing better than Watson ever did. Right. And that Cleveland could have, you know, just got, you know. Which, I mean, like, it's easy to have revisionist history on that, but, like, that's not a low bar. No. You know, Watson was playing really well before everything. And what's funny about it is it's not just 
the picks like, oh, you know, whatever, Damian Pierce or, you know, any of these guys that got taken directly by the Watson capital. It's the fact that because the Texans had multiples in every year and in a lot of rounds, they could also take the guys who are really good right now, you know, whether it's, I mean, there were so many people who showed up big in that game in particular that were drafted by the Texans. And whether it yep. was directly as a result of the Watson trade or not, you know, the Watson trade allowed them to draft elsewhere and then pick some of these other guys. And, you know, yep. uh, oh, it's a flexibility, which Christian, is like the huge Christian Harris was a perfect example. I mean, four of the eight best players or maybe I would say five of the eight best players on that team were drafted in the last two or three years. So you're talking like C.J. Stroud, Will Anderson, Derek Stingley, Christian Harris, right? Like, yeah. I mean, it's it's impressive the way. I mean, even like a Jonathan Greenard, you know, like they, the the way that they. It's not just C.J. and we'll, I'm sure we'll get to C.J. Right? They look so fast. Like there was a play um, where they I can't remember if Cleveland threw it out to the edge or they, they it was a toss play, whatever it was, but it was out on the perimeter, and like. It looked like the kid, whoever it was, looked like he had the corner. And it was like you snap your finger finger, and there were four Texans right there, you know? And like then you watch on offense and you see Brevin Jordan, who is like by trade a tight end, like bursting through the defense and everybody underestimating what he can do with the angles they're taking. He's breaking angles and scoring a long touchdown. And Nico Collins, who's a bigger player, but is capable of running by people too. It's it's really impressive how fast they look, I thought. You know, like across the board, and it's like you said, it's all these guys who are in year one, year two, year three, where at least on paper, it looks like that team should just keep getting better. Yeah. Like this is no layup. Like I'm a, I like now we assume maybe it's Baltimore next week. This is no layup for the Ravens. No. And I want to be careful because I said almost the exact same thing about the Jaguars the year before when they came back and they beat the um they came back and they stunned the Chargers in the playoffs and it's like oh unlimited sky's the sky's the limit and I think but that division man like that division is actually going to be really good I think I think which so is too. crazy because I can't I don't know it's been it's been around the AFC South's been around for like twenty years and it was really good at the beginning when Peyton Manning was in it and like Steve McNair was on the Titans and whatever you know um. That division's got a chance to be really good for a long time, especially if like Anthony Richardson hits with the Colts. You know, I mean, where they are. I mean, like, so you have the Jaguars with Lawrence, you have the Texans with Stroud. Um, you have, and then like if Anthony Richardson hits, like, holy crap! Like that division could be good for a long time. The um, my thought though is, you know, C.J. Stroud. We make this mistake all the time where CJ Stroud is playing really well right now. And we're mm. like, oh, my God, oh, my God, the sky's the limit. And it, and it might be. But we also have to remember that, you know, like Trevor Lawrence had a bad season this year. Um, yep. Peyton Manning had some weird bad seasons throughout his career. We could be still debating three years from now whether or not the Texans should pick up CJ Stroud's fifth year option. You know, yep. we could yeah. be in that. But I think what we should have we should take away from this is that to me, the blockbuster quarterback trade, it is dead because what the Texans have shown is it really doesn't matter if you hang 
the NFL is so cyclical that just having additional draft capital helps you be flexible enough to ride with the ebbs and the flows of the NFL. Right. To the point where, you know, Deshaun Watson may have phased out of the NFL as a player. I mean, I say this all the time, but he only played a Vic Fangio defense like once. Yep. Yeah. While he was before his suspension and before um, he, he sat out the year. And now it's the most prevalent defense in the NFL. Things change. Players phase out. They become less effective. They lose offensive coordinators, whatever it is. But the one yeah. thing that doesn't change is the value of immediately sucking up guys from the college pipeline and with those guys sucking up all the uh, you're, you're watching all the film and you're digesting all the ideas and you're stealing all the stuff from college that's going to inform the next evolution on the turn. It's it's so much more valuable to me than spending three first round picks on a quarterback. And OK, the last two guys that have done it are the Denver Broncos and the Cleveland Browns, and it doesn't look great. Yeah, it, it's crazy to think, but like eventually do we get to a point where um, team a team tries to churn quarterback the same way they would churn another position? I think and the I, Eagles are already there. Yeah, and I remember like that was like, um, you know, going back to like the Seahawks, like when things got like contentious with them and Russell Wilson in the first contract negotiation. And like if you go back and you look at those Seahawks teams, how, how like, Russell Wilson's contra contract, like being on a third round contract, allowed them to aggressively re-sign everybody, you know, Sherman and Chancellor and Earl Thomas and Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright. Like they paid everyone. And like I remember talking to somebody about like kind of the position they were in with Russell, and they were like, I think John Schneider is, and this is somebody who knew John really well, goes, like, I think John is thinking about churning the quarterback. And it was, I think Seattle doesn't think he's as good as everybody else does, which I mean, like wound up being kind of telling. It's like, I think that they think that they could churn the quarterback position. The question is, do you have the balls to actually do it? Right. And that's what's really hard because the quarterback, like it affects everything. You know what I mean? It affects ticket sales. It affects fan morale. It affects merchandise sales. It affects everything, you know? So do you have the balls to sit there and say, I'm confident in my ability to get a quarterback right every three years and we're going to keep churning it. And that's going to give us an advantage over everyone in the league. It takes some real stomach to do that. But I mean, if you look at it, like, you know, like Jared Goff and Jared Goff signs a contract that like the Rams like almost immediately regretted. Right. And then the, you turn around and you trade him and that contract matures into good value. Now he's a really good player for the, for the lions. Right. You know, Baker Mayfield goes somewhere. Now Baker Mayfield is the example of like, Oh, you can get away with it. You know, you can get away with not paying Daniel Jones, $40 million. Baker Mayfield was the number one pick in the draft. Yep. It's just like, there are, I think there are very few, I think what we're, what we're, what we're learning. And this was like, this is something I talked with a few teams about like last spring. And I think this is what you're getting at Connor. Correct me if I'm wrong here. But like the NBA went through this where there was a point where every team had like a max contract guy on their roster. And the reality is there weren't that many guys across the NBA that were worth that. And eventually like that evolved and changed to, all right, like just because he's the best player on the team doesn't mean you give him a max contract. I think that's sort of what's happening at quarterback now where you realize there are some quarterbacks that are worth that 50 million, $55 million number, but it's like, 
it's not many of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's not many of them. And you got to be real careful about paying somebody at that level. And it's it's just it's better practice. Like so the Eagles were the first the Eagles were the big RPO team during their run yeah. to the Super Bowl um, when Carson Wentz had that near MVP season and got hurt. And the reason they're running those is because Doug Peterson watched a bunch of North Dakota tape and was like, yeah. holy crap, look at the way they're just killing people with this. And he installed it in the NFL at a time when no one was running it. And so they were just ripping everyone to shreds with this. You can do that. I mean, every quarterback, top-rated quarterback that comes through is going to come attached to a system that people probably aren't running at the NFL level at this point that you can install slivers of and give yourself an advantage, not only schematically, but like you said, financially. And I think, you know, to me, it makes all the sense in the world to try it, you know? To your point, like the you bring up the Eagles again, like, and, you know, we can hammer this home with Philly because – where was the turning point for Nick Sirianni with Jalen Hurts? It was when they put it when Shane Steichen put in the Oklahoma run game, right? And that's really what kind of turned it for them. Like that midway through that first year, it was Jalen Hurts' second year in the league, and they were they were just like like I think Shane was sort of just like eff it, like let's lean into the Oklahoma run game. And you wouldn't think of that as a way of making a quarterback comfortable because everybody thinks like it's just about the passing game. But that run game like allowed them to set everything up for Jalen Hurts in a way that would make him comfortable and where he didn't have to be a world beater as a passer. And it just turned him into a different player. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. On the other side, so I, I mean, I think what what we all conveniently sort of ignored about the Browns during this miraculous Flacco run was there was a lot. Flacco made a lot of boneheaded plays during the four or five games he had as a starter, and how still, dare you? He and he's still and he's still Flacco, so he's not necessarily very mobile. This is a wildly athletic front, and I think I did say this on WIP on Saturday was. If they can get like if they're going to get into the backfield, I do think that the playing field is completely leveled in terms of, you know, the Texas yep. defense and the Browns in uh, the Browns defense. Um, Flacco made a lot of bad throws. 
in this game, and they were costly yep. because they create they generated points. And I feel like a pick six is such a backbreaker in a playoff game, and especially on the road, especially on the road, and to just have have it happen the way that it did, you know, there's there was no coming. Well, it's back just like I, I feel like it almost feels like it has like an avalanche effect. Yes, you know what I mean. Like it does. It like just feels. I think for an opposing team, like when those things start to happen, it just feels like the roof is caving in on you. And I'm sure that's how it felt like for the Browns, like the whole thing. And because they were strung together, like they were walking a tightrope with their fourth and fifth tackles and with no Nick Chubb and with their fourth quarterback and with their fourth and fifth safeties. And they had to adjust. And I think this is such a credit. Like if I'm a Browns fan, I wake up today and I feel great about where my team is because of the job they did managing it. Forget about the quarterback. Just the job that Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski have done setting it up and absorbing injuries and everything else. But like the reality of it is they were really walking a tightrope because of all the injuries, you know, and they had to win games a certain way. And, you know, when you're walking a tightrope like that, you know, little like, like something like a pick six can just make it snap, which I think is part of what happened on Saturday. If you're the Browns, how do you feel about everything? right now like I, I you know i mean pretty good you think so don't you i mean i don't like feel like jim schwartz is gonna leave for a head coaching job i i don't feel like you're gonna lose your offensive staff you got bill callahan i mean it's just i look at the infrastructure there and maybe i'm looking at this the wrong way but like i look at the premium players they have at premium positions your miles garrett's your denzel wards um you know the tackles they have when they're healthy you know the way amari cooper played um, I just, I, I feel like if you're them, you feel really good about the infrastructure you have in place. And the one thing that obviously is the variable, unfortunately for them is at quarterback and which way that goes, which is a huge variable, you know? So Mari Cooper turns 30, um, in June, you have yep. Joel Batonio is going to be 33 in the middle yep. of next season. Wyatt Teller is going to be 30 next season. Uh, let's see. Offensive linemen generally last. They though. they age well. Miles yeah. um, Garrett is going to be in his age 29 season. I mean, okay. shows no signs of slowing down, obviously. Um, if Brian Callahan gets a head coaching job, does Bill Callahan go with him? Right, that's a good I, question. Know, and that's yeah. something that and Brian has interviewed for a couple of jobs, and that was something yep. that I was thinking about. But, you know, because, again, we always project like an ascendancy and complete health. I think, to me, what happens if one, one or two or three of these things start to break down? Now, again, you get Nick Chubb back. So there's going to be, you know, there's going to be positives in Cleveland. Yep. But, you know, what if this is it? What if this is the height of what you were able to do, what you traded Deshaun, for Deshaun Watson for, the reason that you did it. I mean, it's a scary thing to think about, right? If you're Andrew right. Barry, if you're that front office, like, was this was this it? Was this our year, you know? Right. Yeah, and that's a, that's fair. I mean, I, again, like, I, I think you can look at the team and say, like, the core has gotten a little older. And, um, you know, it's like where Buffalo is, right? Like, Buffalo's got... I mean, some of the guys that they've gotten there with, the core guys, you know, you're, 
Um, you know, Von Miller's not a core guy because he hasn't been, but but he was sort of an older guy in their roster. And then your Matt Milano's, your Tredavious Whites, your Jordan Poyers, your Micah Hyde, your Deion Dawkins, Stefan Diggs. Like, it's like the window is going to be open as long as we have Josh Allen, but there's probably going to be a roster reset coming here. I think the Brown, I think the Bills are probably maybe a year or two advanced from where the Browns are. But I think you're right. The Browns are getting into that 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 territory. Where okay, like we have to start to kind of get some some of the next pieces ready to take over from for some of our stars, which is challenging to do. But again, like I mean, based on what we saw this year, man, like from their coaching staff, from their scouting staff, from Barry and and Stefanski, and how they kept having answers, you know, how they had a fourth and fifth tackle ready, you know, in an era where like a lot of teams can't field field two good tackles, you know. And how, you know, they were able to win, you know, in a game where they were able to compete in a game where they didn't have Amari Cooper or Elijah Moore. And to win with your fourth quarterback and to win without Nick Chubb, I just, I would have a lot of trust right now in, 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 in that staff on both sides of it, coaching and scouting their ability to, to, to reset the roster gradually over the next year or two. Moving on to what was the most stunning part of the weekend for me was, you know, I mean, the Packers just absolutely boat yeah. raced the Dallas Cowboys, and it was it was weird to me because got a little scary there at the end where they let their foot off the gas, but and had to put Jordan Love and and everybody back in. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, yeah. But to me, and you know, I I was surprised. It reminded me a little bit of the complexion of a couple years ago when Mike Pettin was still the defensive coordinator of the Packers and the 49ers. It might have been before the Chiefs Super Bowl, right, where they ran for yep. like 300 yards in that playoff game at Levi Stadium. That's what this reminded me of. And like everybody, I mean, even Greg Olson in the booth, but everybody sitting at home, you know, I was listening to um, some talk radio this morning and callers were coming in and saying the same thing. It doesn't take a defensive genius to know that like Cowboys were playing way off the ball. They're playing super light against the Packers and it just set this set the stage for them to just just run over the Cowboys and it was stunning I mean Micah Parsons was a non-factor um you could see where um and I thought it was really smart of Matt LaFleur to take the ball at the beginning of that game and run a sustained drive disallow the Cowboys from using all their pressure packages and force them on their heels it yep. was coached perfectly, but I was stunned at the flatness of Dallas's offensive game plan, at the flatness of their the almost the I, I don't know what you want to call it, just like the surrender nature of the of the defensive game plan. I I, I really I, I expected them to go after Jordan Love and 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 he made some good throws under pressure. He made some great throws getting hit in that game, but yeah, I, I mean you have the best pass rush in the league. Like it has to be better than that. Yeah, and I think like a big part of it, and this was something like when I when I was asking around, I did that playoff preview last week um, about like you know teams' strengths and weaknesses. One thing that came up pretty consistently with the Cowboys was like with their defense, you have to run right at them, you know, like and you have to and like you have to do that to minimize the amount of like bad down and distance situations you're in because that's when they can really dial it up, and you have to. And, and and it allows you to sort of like make Micah Parsons think about being aggressive, make Demarcus Lawrence think about the way he's coming up field. 
And it can really put them on their heels because, like you said, they're a little light up front, right? 33 carries, 143 yards. Like, I just, and if you look at that first drive, there was no third and long, right? So they sort of set the tone there and the way they're able to run the ball in that first drive and the way, the way they're able to stay out of bad down and distance situations. And it just limited for the rest of the game the amount of bad down and distance situations they were in. Now, Jordan Love was freaking off the charts when they needed him. Phenomenal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Off the charts. Like that throw he made on third and seven to Dontavian Wicks, like down the pipe where he couldn't step into it, it just flicks his wrist and like puts it like right in the goalpost for Wicks to go and get it was insane. And I. Like, it was funny. I, I talked to LaFleur after the game, and he said to me, he's like, he's like, yeah, so first of all, he's like, I asked him what play he wanted, so he called that play, right? Then he identifies that there's a zero blitz coming. He maxes the protection up, right? So he basically adjusts the protection. Then he stands in there knowing he's going to get hit and he, knowing he's not going to be able to step in the ball into, the, into, the, into his throw and knowing... He's not going to be able to see the receiver he's throwing to. And he puts a dime right on Wicks. And it's just like that, like, I mean, having that, like, so we talk a lot about how you bring up young quarterbacks. Don't ask him to do that 25 times a game. You know what I mean? And the Packers did ask him to do it five times a game. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the genius of what the Packers are doing with Jordan Love is they're not asking him to like win every single play for them. He only threw the ball 21 times yesterday. But when they did ask him to bail them out, he was freaking spectacular. And I think like that's sort of the key to the whole thing. Like it's what we've talked about with Josh Allen. It's like when you, when you start to ask the guy to put on the cape too much, eventually he's going to crash, you know? And I, I just think it was a beautifully managed game and, and Jordan Love deserves all the credit in the world. And I think, again, like this brings us right back to that old quarterback argument, right? Like where it's like, like maybe everyone should sit their quarterback for three years. And it sounds ridiculous after the way that CJ Stroud played. Um, but, you know, I do think that there's a lot of benefit in coming up the way that Jordan Love came up. Everyone's been making fun of me. I've been saying keep Justin Fields and draft Caleb Williams. And let Caleb Williams sit for a year. Do it. Yeah, why not? Why not? Why not? I mean, build the offense up like for another year. Yeah. So then you build up Justin Fields' value, right? Yeah. Exercise the option. And then, you know, if you have enough confidence in yourself to do it, exercise the option and then and then trade him on the option in 2025. Aaron Jones looked like he was shot out of a cannon in that game, too. I mean, it, oh my God. Yeah. I could have used that during the fantasy season, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> on the other side, I mean, couldn't, 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 couldn't get him motivated. I did a good job. We were, we were a resourceful team. I did a good job getting the most out of my players, but I just couldn't get Aaron Jones going. When you had I to get him to. away from Jair Alexander, I think was the problem. You know, Jair yeah. was just, you know, he was out goofing around and uh, he was distracting Aaron Jones from your, uh, do you think Jair Alexander made the unilateral decision to be active in yesterday's game? <laughs> Cause it was a question going in, right? Whether or not he was going to play. It is. It is funny that like, I mean, just it, didn't just, just, just didn't check with LaFleur. Just like, you know, like he, he's in his, he's in his game Jersey there during warmups. Going from All calling right, your own shot in the coin toss to then just hopping into local news interviews <laughs> and you have this miraculous run and maybe it's his lightness that is keeping the team going, you know, uh, loose. See, I think that that actually is a factor. I have thought about that, which might be stupid, but I have thought about that. 
And I mean, he did have a pick. So, you know. It's like that whole like not giving a bleep thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's that, there's like power in that. Like it's, we talked about it with Flacco. Yeah. Like Flacco, I think there's the power of not giving a bleep. He doesn't care about his legacy anymore. Like he's just going out and playing. And maybe that's what it is with Jair Alexander too. I, I think, I mean, he played well on Sunday. I think that pick was really critical um, yeah. at the end of the first quarter because then you put yourself in a spot where you're up by 14 before Dallas is even really able to blink their eye, you know? And um, right. so, yeah. It changed the context of the game. Totally. Right? I mean, it just you know, like the game's played a different way when you take a lead like that. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. <laughs> Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Dallas's defense, and this is the one thing that we saw in various, they looked so good against bad teams that we kind of just thought that they were really good when the truth is that they are, Dallas, it was almost like um, that one year that Louisville made the final, like played really well with Rick Pitino and they were full court pressing all the time. It's yeah. it's like, it, it works if you can get the game into a situation where you need it to be. Or I'm, I went to Syracuse, so we always played two, three zone defense for absolutely yeah. no reason, but it worked. It worked if a team couldn't shoot and then you got up on them all of a sudden. Well, and then, yeah, I think that's right. That's how you beat a it's zone. Actually, in basketball. Like, you I, shoot your way out. Yeah. Of it. yeah. I can remember like, so it's sort of like, like Don Brown at, when he was at Michigan this is the college defensive coordinator was called Dr. Blitz and Michigan would dominate freaking everybody all year. And then Ohio State would like basically run a bunch of mesh routes with NFL receivers and score 70 on them. Right. And eventually they had to fire Don Brown because of it, where it was like, all right, like it, that's great that we're like shutting out like Indiana and like <laughs> limiting, mi limiting Minnesota to like 34 yards for a whole game. But then once the talent equates, it's like we're getting boat raced, you know? And so I do think that there's that element of it where it's like you have to, it's like, are you building? What are you building for? Are you building for week six or are you building for the wild card round, the divisional round? You know, like that's what it is. So let's let's boogie into a little bit about coaching carousel, but I'll lead it off by saying that okay, 
I think it's stupid to fire Mike McCarthy. Um, yep. uh, three straight 12 and five seasons. Um, these playoff games happen. I don't think it's necessarily an indictment of the coaching staff. Um, I don't know. Uh, do you think Jerry Jones uh, so goes wild? I here? think both. Th- so I think two things. I'm going to do the two things can be true thing, which is a stupid cliche. But like, so two things can be true. It is insane to hot fire Mike McCarthy after 36 regular season wins in three years. And after the Cowboys have ranked first, third, and first in points scored. Right? Insane to do that. And in the latter part of that, he took back the play calling. It was directly his responsibility. Right. And the year you got out of Dak, um, all of it. It's insane to think about like, all right, now's the time to whack Mike McCarthy. But I can also understand acting with urgency, and the owner's the owner's eighty two years old, and they haven't they haven't been to the NFC title game since nineteen ninety five. Which so next year that drought's going to be approaching thirty years. I think it's the four it's the fifth longest such drought in the NFL, and they've got a roster that is very much like win now. Like you talk about teams that that are relying on some older players like Tyron Smith, Zach Martin, Demarcus Lawrence. I mean, Steph Gilmore, we'll see if he's around next year. Brandon Cooks. Like, there are a lot of older players on that team. And so I can see where if Jerry looks at it and says, there's some unique opportunities out there. And whether it means promoting Dan Quinn because I don't want to lose him to Seattle or hiring Mike Vrabel or hiring Jim Harbaugh or taking the biggest swing of all and hiring Bill Belichick, this is just the time I have to do it. So I can both understand, like I can both say, I think it's crazy to look at Mike McCarthy in the last four years and say, God, that's not good enough. God, he's awful. And um, I think it's insane to think about it that way. Like I think Mike McCarthy on balance has done a really good job. I think, if Mike but McCarthy I can also understand. Gets, I think if Mike McCarthy gets fired, he gets a job this cycle if he wants it. Yeah, I wonder where that would be though. True, maybe Pittsburgh if uh, Mike Tomlin. Philly. Philly. <laughs> Pending tonight. <laughs> right. Um, so let's let's run through things. Uh we gave our predictions last week and it was funny. Yeah. I mean I my predictions post published about forty five minutes before Gerard Mayo accepted the Patriots job. I had thought that maybe they would have taken a little bit longer and given a second look to Mike Vrabel, but I give New England credit. I mean, this was the plan. And I yep. feel like if you're Robert Kraft, this is your this is your baby now. And so, yeah. you know, Tom Brady went to Tampa. Bill Belichick's going to go to Atlanta or Dallas, and we're going to see what he can do on his own. You have identified Gerard Mayo. You wanted him. Yep. This is your guy, and you were like, "I'm not even going through the interview process." So, uh, yeah, you're on the stage. And now. I, I do think like you're. Um, I'd say like. There's a little bit of a parallel here with what like Jerry Jones did with uh, with with Jason Garrett, where there's an ego thing with owners, right? And like Jerry kind of viewed like Jason Garrett as his creation, you know. And I think to some degree, like there's a little bit of that with Kraft and Mayo. Um, but I I think Mayo's got special qualities that qualify him to be a head coach, um, just from a leadership standpoint, who he is. I think he's got a lot of the same things that some of the ex-players like D'Amico and and Dan Campbell and Mike Frabel had. Um, and like, yeah, they had a bad year, but does what do you what do you have? What do you like 
put more weight on a bad year or the 16 that you've known the guy for. Right. You know, and the one thing that came up that I thought was sort of interesting and in having discussions with some people that were involved over the weekend was how Robert Kraft in 1996 had this like feeling like I should just hire Bill Belichick, right? And he didn't wind up doing it because it would have been awkward to hire one of Parcells' assistants when things fell apart between Parcells and the Patriots in 1997. So he didn't do it then. Um, and like he, he said, he has said himself, he like regrets that. I think he has the same sort of feeling in his gut about Mayo that he had about Belichick. Mm. And I think that that's what's driving this. And I can't fault him for that because I, if you're, if you've been right about people the way he has been right about people, then there's reason to trust your gut. And look, like if you don't hire the guy now, you, he probably gets a job in the next year or two. So you're never going to have the chance to hire him, which like kind of is that Sean McVay thing. Like when the Rams hired Sean, I remember talking to people there about it. And it's like, you know, is he ready? Maybe not, but we either hire him now or we lose him forever. Right. Because we, because if we don't hire him now, somebody's going to either this year or next year and whoever our next coach is, if it doesn't work out, we're not going to be rid of that guy. Like by the time we get rid of that guy, McVay is going to be off the market. It's, I think it's the same sort of thing with Mayo. So, you know, you try to support him and put infrastructure around him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the world of in full disclosure, I, you know, I did TV with Gerard for a couple of years, so I know him really well. Um, you know, I, I think the world of him, I think he's going to be, I think he's a really good pick. And I would just say this, I've worked with a ton of ex-athletes on TV and a lot of them had potential. A lot of them are smart. A lot of them have like the ability to be good at it, but there are two guys who got it like just automatically right away, understood how to speak to the audience without being overly complicated, but giving their insight, understood how to speak in sound bites, all of it. And one was Nate Burleson and the other one was Gerard Mayo, which I think speaks to how Mayo is sort of one of these guys who's just, <laughs> he's the kid in high school who, you know, everybody was buddies at, but everybody slightly resented just because he was good at everything he did. Mm. You know that kid? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think everybody everybody had had those kids for us for that for themselves growing up, right? Like an, I would say like for us, like it was this kid Damian Rumetz who wound up playing both football and baseball at Dartmouth. Um yeah, like so he I think Gerard Mayo is just that kind of kid that you loved that you grew up with, but everyone just had like a slight little bit of resentment cuz it's like what the hell? Like everything this guy does, like he's like just snaps his fingers and he's good at it. Damian Rumetz. Rumetz, Rumetz, yeah. Rumetz. And yep, played football and baseball at Dartmouth. And he burned a little out a little bit athletically, but he broke the Dartmouth like single game receiving record as a sophomore there. And he pitched on the baseball team. So two sport division one athlete, pretty good. Wow. Did he come up? He did. Nice. Nice. There he is. Look at that. Not how I thought um, you would have spelled his name, but I found him. Yep. Rumi. Wow. Six Phenomenal foot, 195. Athlete. Stats don't go back that far for the big green, but um, yeah, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole there. Um, other than that, we have Jim Harbaugh meeting with the Chargers as we speak. Um, I don't know. I mean, to me, that still makes the most sense. If he pulls out and stays at Michigan, everything that I thought I knew kind of goes into chaos a little bit. Um, you know, yeah. I feel like I kind of had a nice little setup where I think that the the Raiders either do Antonio Pierce or Mike Vrabel. 
I think that the Titans either do Antonio Pierce or maybe a Raheem Morris or maybe your offensive coordinator three. Um, Falcons, Bill Belichick. Commanders, yep. Ben Johnson. Panthers, I th- I think like Frank Smith or Dave Canales maybe um, yeah. for that job. Or Did you say Dan Quinn yet? Did you put him in Seattle? I'm saying Dan Quinn is possibly in Seattle, but I, you know, it's interesting with Canales. Like, let's say that he lights it up tonight. Um, and Canales has been with Tampa or uh, with Pete Carroll since 2009. Um, he was on Pete Carroll's staff at USC as an assistant uh, strength and conditioning coach. And then Pete Carroll brought him to be a quality control coach in 2010. He was there through everything. He knows everybody. Yeah. What if he goes out and hangs 40 on the Eagles tonight? You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that change the yeah. complexion of it? I don't know. I mean, we are, you know, but I'm interested to see where this all goes. Um, but I do think that Harbaugh is a key. I think Belichick is a key. And I think that these, these and Dan Quinn, and I think these experienced guys have to go because the only reason yeah. these teams got into it they did not get into it to hire this staff of first time head coaches. Cause it's not a good mm-hmm. one, you know? Yeah. So I, I think like with, with Harbaugh, what'll be interesting today with the interview um, and maybe we find out, maybe we don't what happens inside the room, but like, I do think like he's perfect for the chargers because again, they're, we've talked about this Connor. They're sensitive to the idea. They're cheap. They're sensitive um, to the idea that they're irrelevant in LA and Harbaugh, 100% addresses both those things, right? Because you're going to have to spend to get him, and he's going to put you on the map a little bit more in L.A. than you already are. I think the question is going to be what Harbaugh asks for, not salary-wise, like because I think you pay him what you pay him, but for the people around him, right? And so what are you willing to pay Jesse Minter to come with him and be his defensive coordinator? What are you willing to do to maybe modernize some of the things you're doing from a sports science standpoint or an analytics standpoint? And what is Harbaugh asking for? I think that that's going to be the interesting thing. Now, the Chargers are in a unique position here because they're about to open a brand new practice facility um, by the airport there in LA. And so I think that the, they, they've got the ability to say, hey, look, Jim, this is a nine-figure facility we're opening. We got some flexibility in the way that we're going to set them things up there. We'll let you shape what the facility looks like. So I think they're in a unique position to sort of accommodate what he needs. But I think that that's going to be as big a part of this as anything is can you put can you give Jim the infrastructure um, that he's going to want to set up the program the way he wants to set it up and. Um, are you going to be willing to convince, are you going to be able to convince Jim like, Hey, we're going to be able to work with you in a way that ownership in San Francisco couldn't. Cause I'm sure that that part of it hangs over him too, a little bit. We're going to be able to, <laughs> we're going to be able to not get pissed off when you make fun of the owner in front of everybody. Like, uh, like Jim Harbaugh used to do in San Francisco. Um, and, uh, and basically pin everybody against everybody else in the building, except for you. Um, that does it for us today. We have Matt and Gilberto who are on deck. They're going to be the Thursday show, and they're going to take you through 
I'm presuming. I'm not telling them what to do. They can do whatever they want. They can talk about their favorite barbecue recipes if they want. But I, I think that they will take you through <laughs> Philadelphia. They will take you through Philadelphia, Tampa Bay, and uh, Pittsburgh and Buffalo. Enjoy the snow tonight. Albert and I will be warm and cozy in our homes, not exposing ourselves to the temperatures. It's a little chilly in my basement, so I can I can relate with the people um, in Orchard Park. You know, I got the uh, my my home office is downstairs, and and you know it does maybe you know drop into the sixties down. Here. Maybe I'll cold plunge it tonight before the game just to get myself a little bit. Um, I mean, I took I took an ice cold shower this morning, so um, you know I feel. Ri- I am going to be looking into a plunge pool now. Like you're you're the fourth or fifth person who's like advocated for me getting one, so I'm going to definitely look into it. Yeah, uh, it's. I don't know how different it is from just having a cold shower, um, but I think the fact that you can say that you have a plunge pool is, you know, it's it's makes you makes you feel like cutting it. It's like like wow, like they're pretty cutting edge over there, you know. Like like all the other dads that are jogging in the neighborhood just don't have their shit together yeah. like I do, you know. So that's that's <laughs> yeah. what it's all about. Um, all right, thank you, Albert. Thank you guys for listening. Enjoy the remainder of the playoffs, and we will see you next Monday when the field narrows once again. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.